Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. It's the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson. Men's sexuality coach Taylor Clark Johnson is here. Do you go by Taylor Clark Johnson, the full name? Uh, not in social context, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> People just call me Taylor. Okay, so that was that's your Instagram handle. That's where I got yeah. that. But yeah. I was thinking when I was prepping for this podcast, every sex expert that I have had on the podcast... Mm-hmm. Did not start this way. They they obviously got into the business they are in because there was some part of their life, their sexuality, their sex lives that just was not good. It was either dysfunctional, mm-hmm. disappointing, or what you describe yours as is a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about your story and just how you got into the work that you're doing now? Yeah, <laughs> I can. <laughs> Thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, my my previous sex life was a disaster, 100%. I struggled with premature ejaculation. I was the guy that would ejaculate in instantly or 30 seconds or less than a minute on a regular basis. I, was, I went through a period of time of avoiding women completely because I was afraid of being flirtatious with them because inevitably that would lead to sex. Mm. You know, inevitably I would be the guy that would come too soon. And I didn't even want to take that risk. So I just didn't talk to women for a while. It was safer that way. And then I also struggled with erectile dysfunction because I watched a lot of porn and I went through a phase of being addicted to porn. And that really impacted my relationships as well. And I was a sexual mess. I had a lot of sexual anxiety. I had low self-worth as a man because I couldn't sexually quote unquote perform. I couldn't provide or even have a good extended lovemaking experience. Like even the concept of lovemaking was foreign to me because I couldn't get there, you know, like sex began and then it was over or it didn't begin at all because I was too anxious and yeah, it was rough. <laughs> it was yeah. rough. So I made a long story short, I made a decision at a certain point to fix all of that. I realized I'm not going to be happy if I go through my entire life like this. Like I have to know what it's like to have good sex and to have a good relationship and be a good lover. Like I've got to know what that's like. Certainly all these people who are saying that they're having those experiences aren't lying. So there must be something great out there. I want to know what that is. Okay. So it's not like you just woke up the next day though and had amazing sex. What does it look like when you decide I want to have amazing sex in my life, yet my life is a complete disaster in this area? Like, where do you start? (laughs) You pray to the sex fairy and she comes down (laughs) at midnight the day after your prayer and taps you on the forehead and your third eye and says, boom, you are good to go. (laughs) Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) It would, you know, it would be. On the one hand, it would be. And on the other hand, I would really be robbing men or anybody of -hmm. the experience of the process of self-cultivation in the sexual realms, right? I think so much in Western society, we want that immediate fix. Mm -hmm. We want that pill. We want that something that's going to switch us overnight. 
The problem with that is that doesn't build character. That doesn't build depth. That doesn't build personality. That doesn't build story, authenticity, you know, all of that stuff. And all that stuff is really important. If you want to have meaningful relationships, if you want to have a deep experience of being alive, like your life can't be a quick fix. Your relationship can't be a quick fix because that, yeah, you're going to be missing on the things that make life and relationship beautiful ultimately. Yeah. I love that you're saying the word quick fix. Cause I do think that is a, a big part of the way we look at sex. Mm-hmm. It's just like, get to the end, get to the orgasm. Everything's fast, whatever it is, even the like interaction before sex with people, you know, like when you meet someone, a lot of times we're rushing into sex immediately. So how did you start to just slow it down? Gosh, that's, I, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, honestly, like the concept of slowing it down didn't occur to me for a while after I started that journey. The, mm. the main parts of my journey really started by exploring my addiction to porn or my okay. really unhealthy relationship with porn. Cause I was in a relationship at that time with a woman. We were living together. I was watching porn and masturbating to it every day, often ejaculating and feeling depleted and feeling mm. like I was not attracted to her because I was constantly watching this porn. And I didn't realize that that was the thing that was making me not attracted to her. So, you know, until I read a bunch of books and I realized, oh, if I stop watching porn for a couple of days, wouldn't you know, all of a sudden I'm more attracted to my partner. Oh, if I stop watching for a week and a half, wouldn't you know, we have great sex or at yeah. least sex, you know, yeah. <laughs> not great yet, but we had sex and actually we're not arguing as much, Yeah, you know? And that was like, huh, there's really something to this. Maybe I should, maybe I should dive more deeply into this study. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about porn because you've mentioned it a couple of times and um, I mean, well, I want to also get into a conversation about the bigger issue of sexuality in our culture, but mm-hmm. with porn specifically, we've had a porn director and then a former porn star on the podcast. Right. And the questions I always ask them um, are just, what do you think about porn in relationships? You know, there's like mm-hmm. the big debate. Is it bad? Is it good? And like, how do we know the answer? And everyone's response has been somewhat just kind of neutral of it depends on how you use it. So as someone who was addicted to porn, what are your feelings on that topic? Yeah. Well, I'll preface this by saying there's a lot of debate on whether porn addiction is actually a thing or not. And so regardless of that, I'll say I had a very unhealthy relationship with porn. Okay. that, That problematically impacted my relationship, my sex life, and my friendships and my ability to be financially successful in the world, all of that. So it really impacted my life. Addiction word usage, you know, aside, like it was yeah, a problem, sure. right? So um, what do I think about porn? I like to call porn cocaine for your penis okay. or co- cocaine <laughs> for your sexual response cycle. At least if we're talking about men, right? Yeah. Like, sure, you can do it. And it can be fun and you can do it occasionally and it's not going to deeply impact you. But like very rare is the person who can do cocaine every day and not have it impact them negatively in some way. Very rare is it the man who can watch porn by himself every day and not have it negatively impact his life or relationships in some way. So Mm -hmm. on the one hand, yes, it does depend on how you use it and the frequency of that. And also like, I think it's very inherently a risky thing for men to do. Now I'm not going to say like it's 100% bad black and white that is the answer because right. I know there are some like healthy healthier uses of porn but the research is pretty clear it impacts the male brain in a way similar to addictive drug use and also research shows that men who watch porn alone it it for sure like no questions asked like reduces their relationship satisfaction your sexual satisfaction like all this stuff you know so that's a really interesting thing because watching porn in isolation has a fundamentally different impact on a man than if they were to watch porn with their romantic sexual partner okay my theory my theory on that is that if you're watching porn with your partner you have actual human connection there with somebody in the moment and you can share that experience with them and you're not you're not uh, having this sexual experience with pixels on a screen that's lacking in human connection that I think does something fundamentally 
generally problematic to the brain and the sexual response system, you know? Yeah. That's, I'm going to pause there and see. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like the way you just said that about it, even if it involves a person with you, like your partner, it mm -hmm. becomes more of an exchange than just looking at a screen. And so, cause that's what the, the research talks about with our brains, right? Like mm -hmm. you're completely disconnecting from your body. It's like, I don't even know the terminology, so I don't want to speak to it, but that's what I hear is the way that it impacts your brain is just because it's again, that quick instant fix. It's not really like a body connection. It's just messing up our brains. And so we mm -hmm. start associating that with sex because we have orgasm to that, right? Is am I going? Is this the right direction? <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Am I, mean, I saying this? And does that make sense though? What I'm trying to say? Yeah, it, and it can impact different people in a lot of different ways for okay. sure. But like, but my experience and and what I've seen and hundreds of guys that I've worked with is that yeah, if you're regularly watching porn and masturbating to porn and ejaculating in five minutes or less, and most people watch porn for a total of less than ten minutes at a time. Uh, so there you're kind of looking for that hit, you know, you're looking yes. for that fix, right? Yeah. So you're training your sexual response system to get aroused and ejaculate in a short amount of time. And you're training your sexual response system to be habituated, to be used to really high intensity stimulus, right? Okay. Like no one human is ever going to be able to compare to mm. porn on a screen that is professionally edited by talented editors to be as visually stimulating as possible, it's flashing from, you know, an image of genitals interacting with genitals to genitals in mouth to three genitals together right. to like bam, 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 you know? Yeah. Like nothing nothing compares to that. It's just, I think it's what's called a super stimulus in the world of, of brain research and psychology because it's so intense. It just overloads everything else. You know? Yeah. And, and so, well, go ahead. Well, I'll just say this one other thing. And so I struggled with porn induced erectile dysfunction okay. uh, for a while. And what that looked like was I could actually get an erection in the beginning of sex, uh, but then that erection would fade in about 90 seconds or so, 60 seconds, 90 seconds. And in retrospect, I've learned and I can see it's because my partner wasn't immediately changing camera angles and going on to the next video and the next scene and becoming a new person, right? So I got aroused because, oh, sex is beginning, but then there's no way she could compare to the constantly changing scenes and the videos and all this stuff. So I didn't have enough stimulus to keep me aroused. And so when I stopped watching porn, my erection would sustain itself and I would become more habituated to, well, I would become more attracted to my partner and find her natural beauty more arousing because my system wasn't used to this super stimulus. If that yeah, makes sense. Totally makes sense. And the people that we interviewed, um, both the director and the former porn star made a point to talk about how much of it they're, they're like, this is for entertainment. We're totally. acting the, the scenes like they're mapped out three minutes here. Then you switch positions to this three minutes. So exactly what you're describing, it is done and formed for a target on our brains, like to hit those, those dopamine hits or whatever you want to call it. Um, so just like you're saying, it's not at all like real life and the people making it are even saying that. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Totally. People who are legit porn stars, they know. Like oh, and yeah. they don't have they don't have sex like that in their personal relationships. No, they don't. They they all said that they don't watch porn, which I thought was really interesting because they're like, once you see how it's made, it kind of loses its luster, right? Like it's not. It's a total. It's just an entertainment industry, like anything else. For sure. Like I remember talking. I think. I was either talking with somebody or listening to it on a podcast interview. I don't know. Lots of conversations around this, but I remember yeah. one person talking about how they were getting paid as a porn star to have sex with another porn star that they both hated each other, but they had to act like they were enjoying it for the camera. And like thousands of people are probably masturbating to that. Right. You know, like what? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, so that it, immediately makes me go, well, what is wrong with our culture? And so let's ask that question. When you are working with the men that you're working with, mm -hmm. um, and I actually heard you and Layla talk about this, but like the way that our current system is, y'all said we're all suffering. Mm -hmm. So what in your work, what are you seeing and how do you think in the current system that we have around sexuality and culture, mm -hmm. like, why are we all suffering? What does that mean? 
God. Well, that's a huge question. I okay. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, break it down however you need to. <laughs> I Well, I think our, yeah. What direction would I go? There's so many different directions. I think as a society, we are fundamentally suffering from a lack of community and okay. from isolation and from hyper individualism that keeps us all separate and isolated in our own little bubble. And, and especially as men, we're socialized to not uh, ask for help or socialized mm-hmm. to keep everything internal, not express emotions, not be vulnerable, this sort of thing. And that makes us go even more inward and isolate. And of course, rates of depression uh, are skyrocketing in men, isolation, like suicide, like all this stuff. You know, so there's a whole context of our culture. It doesn't support healthy human interaction. And on top of that, we have a really skewed societal view on sex that says, oh, don't talk about sex. Don't have sex, really. Like sex isn't cool, but we're going to throw sexual advertising at you every day. And right. you can't, you know, on TikTok, you can't have healthy sex ed conversations, but you can have a woman dancing in a string thong that doesn't cover her entire asshole that's covering the camera. And that's allowed. Right. But I can't, I can't say the word ejaculation. So it's all fucked up. Like our whole context is very unhealthy with this. And I want to be clear, like, I don't want to shame anybody for getting hooked into watching porn and for getting aroused by watching porn, because it's a very natural response to get Mm -hmm. aroused by sexual stimuli. Like we're sexual beings and it's healthy to want to have sex. And because of all the repression, because of all this stuff, like porn is just you know, here it's, I can pick up my phone and look at it and I can watch any video about any topic I could possibly imagine is right here in my phone at my fingertips. And it's just, it's a very easy access point to sexuality in a culture where sexuality is, is not easily discussed or accessed. Yeah. What I was thinking when I was listening to y'all talk on the podcast was this is the kind of stuff we need to be teaching in school. Like, why are we even studying geometry? Like, it doesn't, it's not like you use it when you go out into society as an adult. Yeah. Yet, like, just like you said, we don't, we don't know how to have sex. We don't know how to have healthy sex. We don't know how to have a relationship with ourselves around sex because we're never taught. Like, mm-hmm. it's not really anyone's fault that we don't have that, but we just are never taught. Our parents were never taught. And there was so much repression. So when you have men coming to you these days, is there like a number one thing you're seeing or a consistent theme that they're struggling with, with what, when they would reach out to you, like why? Yeah. Well, it's also because I really position myself as somebody who can help with a certain set of things, right? Like I can help guys who are struggling with premature ejaculation. I have a lot of Mm -hmm. content around there. They come to me for that. I can help guys who are not having the kind of sex life they want. I can help them have a better sex life. And it's because I put content out around that. I can help guys who are struggling with erectile dysfunction. Um, and guys who are struggling with porn addiction, also guys who are feeling like they're just lacking a charge in life in general. And that's because like, those are all things that I personally struggled with and I can relate to. And I've also studied in depth and it feels like those are really good, easy access points uh, for me to connect with guys about this and help them. Uh, but, but I would say that guys who are coming to me for anything like erectile dysfunction or sexual anxiety or premature ejaculation uh, or not feeling the zest in life like uh, probably like 90 plus percent of them have had an unhealthy relationship with porn okay just like i have yeah i mean it seems very common these days like it's something i hear about all the time for sure bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's talk about a little bit some of those ways that we can get to the other side of that. Um, So we talked about the current system, how it's not really set up to support us, and then how everyone's sort of like left to kind of just figure it out. That's what I feel like. It feels like we were these young kids just like thrown (laughs) out into the world. And like you said, we're sexual beings, but we're also shamed for that at the same time. So it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the main things that I hear as far as sex amongst my friend groups and stuff is that the people, especially the people who've been married for a long time or in long-term relationships, they're just feeling really dissatisfied. And it's sort of the mentality that I hear a lot is like, well, you know, we've just been married this long or whatever. And it's sort of just like, that is how it is. Just accept it. And I, I don't agree with that. And the more that I've talked to people like you, I had another expert on, um, her name is Susan Bratton and she is in her 60s. She's been married over 30 years and says she's having the best sex of her life. And so she's teaching people about that. And I just wonder, why do you think we as a society just have that mentality of, you know, like, this is just how it is. But why are we also, why are we mostly dissatisfied in the sex we're having in long-term relationships? Yeah. Wow. That's another huge question. <laughs> uh, and I, I just want to start by normalizing and saying that most of us uh, did, most of us got horrible or non-existent education around sex. Like yes. My sex education in the public school system was basically like, don't have sex. If you do, you'll get somebody pregnant or you'll get AIDS and you'll die. Like, right. As, like, extreme, cool. yeah. as extreme as that, you know, yeah. I'm like, holy shit that's horrible, but I want it, you know? So like I ventured into that realm with no preparation and, and, you know, went through many unhealthy experiences of sex and like perpetuated things that I saw in porn and, and did porn like things with women who didn't know better because they were learning about sex either from me who learned from porn or from their friends who likely learned from porn. Mm -hmm. And it's just this whole context of a lack of sex education. And I think it's something like, 50% of young men today say that porn is their biggest source of education around what sex actually is, which is terrifying. Well, yeah, because circle back to what we said, all the people doing porn and making porn are saying that it is entertainment, not education. Right. And that like, even though they're saying that they're not saying that in the porn videos, like there's not a disclaimer that comes no. up in the first 10 seconds of Pornhub. <laughs> right. By the way, the video <laughs> you're about to watch of us fucking is fake, it's but fake. it's edited to make <laughs> right. it look real. So consider that while you're masturbating. Right. Like, you know, like of course that's not, they're not going to say that because no. they're driven by ad revenue. They're driven by money. And it's, it's, that's, you know, 
and we're going on a tangent here, but like I do, I am really frustrated with that system. It's like, mm-hmm. they're making this content to make money and they're making money off of people's distress, off of societal distress around not knowing how to have a healthy sex life and getting hooked right. by these hyper stimulus. So it's this vicious cycle and it keeps people in these really unhealthy places. Ultimately, people are the ones keeping themselves in these unhealthy places, but I don't think for the most part, porn is helping them with that. Mm-hmm. So we did a huge tangent from your question of like, <laughs> why are people dissatisfied in their current yeah. relationship? I would say that a lot of people are really satis- dissatisfied in their current sexual relationships. And I think a lot of people just throw in the towel because there's there are not models of how to improve your sex in your relationship, right? Like there's there's not guides to that. Like all we see in the mainstream media and movies is people getting into love, falling in love and having hot sex in the first beginning, you know, part of their relationship. And then the movie ends or the TV show ends. Right. You don't see shows or movies where people are seven years in and they're actually doing the work on their relationship that it takes to sustain a long-term relationship and have good sex seven years in. So there's no models for it. So people are like, well, I guess this is just how it goes. I guess I should either will cheat or break up or something else to have hot sex again, you know? And I think that's the majority of people. I've definitely fallen into that trap, mm-hmm. you know? And now I'm in a process of, of viewing long-term relationship as, as something that is, it does take work and it does take work shopping mm-hmm. our relationship, especially after like my partner and I, she's a woman and we bought a house in Asheville about four months ago, moved in together. That's a whole other stressor, you know, but we've decided that now we're, we're committing to doing regular weekly relationship workshops where we kind of self-cultivate the things that we're wanting to learn and listen to an audiobook together and do different practices and exercises together, specifically to work on our triggers and our challenges and build deeper intimacy with each other because we're out of the honeymoon phase. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is after doing that, even just for a little bit, like our sex life is it's going really? back up again. Yeah, totally. And we went through a period of time where our sex life wasn't that great, to be honest. Like, yeah, yes, I'm in this position as sex coach, et cetera. Also, I've never bought a house before and and done all this stuff. And like, <laughs> I still have to deal with all the, you know, the realities the of humanness. life, the humanness of everything. Yeah. But I, but I do uh, really feel like it's important for me to, and I want to, to really study sex and relationship and do the best job that I can possibly do. A, because I want that for myself and B, because I, I want to be able to help other people doing it too. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what I'm so grateful for the fact that, you know, there's people like you doing this work and putting it out there on podcasts and things like that is that it was something I th- I've heard you say this somewhere and I cannot remember exactly where, but when we walk into sex and especially when we're in long-term relationships, it's to me, this is one of the main issues of society's problem with sex, but like, we just expect ourselves to be good at it. Right. Which it's totally. like, where do we think that we would be, I guess, from porn, like you're saying, or our boyfriend, our first boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, like mm-hmm. you think, okay, I've got this figured out, but it's a constantly evolving thing. Right. And like your wants and your needs and your desires change. And so it's one of those things that I think we'll be learning about for the rest of our lives, if we want a big, happy sex life, but instead sure. we kind of just like shut it down and pretend like we know about it. We know what this is. And then we get dissatisfied to me. I'm like, well, of course, like, of course you do. Because if you're not growing, you're dying mentality. Like, do mm-hmm. you see that a lot? Uh, which part? The part about people just kind of being like, well, I don't know. Like they're not learning anything, but basically like just showing up and expecting it to be great anyway. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange phenomenon when it comes to sex in our culture, because yeah, nothing else works like that. Like you don't expect to all of a sudden be good at playing guitar. Yeah. You know, you don't expect to be good at playing, at doing jujitsu. Like you don't expect right. to be good at that after six months of regular practice of either of those things. Like it takes a while to cultivate these things yet somehow in sex, maybe because it's quote unquote, a natural thing to do. Mm. Like we think, oh, we should just be good at it. But how could we possibly be good at it? Our entire societal context is fucked up around it. And we're showing right. really unhealthy images and stories of it regularly. Yeah. So at least at the very least, we have to decondition all the things that we've learned to start from baseline again. Then you could build new things on top of that. Yeah. But I do want to like jump back 
maybe a minute and just give a, a reference point to a book that has been really helpful for okay. us that we're working through now. It's called Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks. I don't know if you've heard of that book. I have heard um, of it. I haven't read it though. For us, it's great. We're listening to it together and doing the exercises together. And it's it's really helpful uh, to shift the frame of like, what is the point of long-term relationship? You know, mm. is it just to have a friend and a sex buddy? Like, or is it to evolve and help each other be the most amazing resourced beings that you could possibly be? And if that's the case, how do you actually do that? Mm. You know, so I don't claim to be an expert in that particular domain. I claim to be very good at the actual acts of sex and helping people do that. <laughs> I'm still like, I'm very much a student right now in the, uh, the cultivation of extended and continual charge in long-term relationship, uh, if that makes sense. Makes total sense. And I th- I'm glad you mentioned that book. I'll put that in the description of the podcast for you guys, because I do think that that it kind of ties back into the whole thing of just expecting us to be good, expecting you stay in a relationship, you get in a relationship, it's long-term because that's what we're supposed to do. I'm doing air quotes or whatever, but the whys, like, I love that. Why are we doing this? What yeah. What's the point? What am I... What is my goal here? You know, the growing, the constantly growing and things like that. I want to talk a little bit about heart connected sex because it's something Mm -hmm. that you talk about a lot. It's something Susan Bratton, the other sex expert I mentioned, talks about. And to me, it's kind of what we're missing in our culture when we talk about sex in general. Like we've referenced porn a million times, and Mm -hmm. that is kind of like fucking a lot of times, you know, and there's a difference. And I think that a lot of the dissatisfaction that I've seen amongst friends, or I know in my own personal sex life has been because you're just going through the motions. You're not like feeling each other. So can you talk a little bit about what heart connected sex is? Because I just don't even know that people know. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) You're smiling. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking about which direction to go. And I don't know that I like, I think in my programs, when I'm working with men, I don't use the phrase heart connected sex. Okay. Um, What do you use? I'm not, I don't know. Like I'm thinking about like, what would I call it? I would just say lovemaking. Okay. Lovemaking. Like I've learned to be really intentional with semantics and the word choices that I use because I've like my younger self and a lot of guys are really primed to uh, discredit and and shove away things that maybe sound frou-frou or things that sound mm-hmm. unaccessible. Like, oh, I really want to have heart-connected sex with you. Well, that <laughs> it's a girl like, thing, right? <laughs> right? Like I get, like, I totally empathize with and get the underlying needs of that statement. Yeah. Like, if you go and say that to most men, they're going to be like, <laughs> mm, I'm, I'm going to go build my outdoor shower. Yeah. Or, okay. That's you know fair. what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Uh, but I think most guys can really understand and resonate with the term lovemaking, at least okay. in my experience, you know, but as so, a man, does that yeah. sound appealing or is that sort of still in the same mentality as this heart connect? Like, do guys even want to participate in lovemaking? Yes. Okay. Lots of men do. Okay. I will also say that not all men are at that point currently. Like there's a that lot of guys sense. who are still like in caught in the fucking cycle, you know, like yeah. you're just seeing sex as another method to get off. It's like, Ooh, mm. I, I want, I have tension. I need release hot woman. Boom. Yeah. You know? well, yeah. Hot, whoever done. Right. Yeah. But there's a huge amount of men who realize that 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 sort of paradigm is outdated and it doesn't actually help them live the full life that they want to live and have the kinds of relationships that they ultimately want to have. And I know that's the case because I'm seeing it in my courses. I'm seeing it different Mm -hmm. men's programs all over the world, different in-person retreats, all this stuff. Like there's a huge uprising of men right now who really want deeper relationships, Mm -hmm. who really want lovemaking, but who also want to be able to have the raw fuck in their sex life too. Of you course. Know? Yeah. And, and those things aren't um mutually exclusive. I agree with that. You know? Yeah. So so what is so what does love making look like? Right. Yes. So <laughs> it could look like a lot of different things. But in my mind, just to paint a baseline picture, love making versus fucking includes 
presence. It includes not being distracted, thinking about other things. And it includes a certain level of vulnerability and openness and attraction to the beingness of the person that you're with versus just their physical attraction. It's like there's an attraction to their emotionality, to their needs, to their desires, like connection on a deeper level. Like maybe you do feel something in your heart, maybe you don't, but there's a deeper sort of care that's present there in the lovemaking experience versus just using somebody else as like a masturbation sleeve. Yes. Kind of a thing, right? Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where you'll have sex and then instead of getting up and leaving afterwards, you'll want to stay there and look into each other's eyes or even if you do want to get up, you'll still at least take a moment to make sure that you're both uh, connected and feeling like you've had a meaningful experience and checking in, like, was that good for you? Was it not good for you? How are you doing? Like, there's a certain level of care that's inherent in that, uh, that's different from just fucking. Yeah. If that makes sense. It makes and total you could take sense. It to, uh, no, go uh, ahead. Well, and then you could take it to another level, which is like, you could say, We'll call well, I don't I don't have a term for it, but the words that's wanting to come through right now are soul fucking. Okay. <laughs> to say that, like beyond lovemaking, there's also this place where you can enter into the deeper energetic, you could call it tantric or whatever, like conscious sexuality, sacred sexuality realms, where you are deep in a lovemaking experience and you're breathing deeply and you're feeling more than just your genitals, you're feeling your whole body, you're feeling aliveness coursing through all parts of your body. There's orgasmic energy flowing between the two of you. There's this electric feeling in the air. A lot of people are familiar with that within the first, you know, six months of a sexual connection. Yeah. But then like having that happen beyond that, like that's a real practice and that's some real magic. And that's where like the, the transformational experiences of sex can happen. So if you're listening and you're like, well, shit, that sounds amazing. Like, how do I get to that? What would your first suggestion be? (laughs) Uh, Find somebody else who's also interested in that. Okay. Yeah. And, and if you're single and you have a pattern of continuing to date people who don't have that particular style of orientation, like do some inner work and try to Mm -hmm. shift things up and figure out how can you go for somebody who will be more open to the kinds of experiences you want? Yeah. Like that's a baseline fundamental sort of thing. If you are in relationship and you're wanting this, there are some things you can do before you even ask your partner to try to change anything about themselves. You can start your own self-pleasure practice and just dive into your own breath, your own energetics, your own feeling, your own whole body while you're self-pleasuring and see what it's like to really like make love with yourself and take yourself to those places. Then a lot of times when you start having sex with your partner from that place, after you've done a little bit of self-pleasure, um, you can bring in a different flavor to the lovemaking experience. Mm-hmm. It's often quite erotic and really tantalizing for the other person that can sort of draw them into the deeper lovemaking experience. Now, on that, well, you look like you're going to say something. I was going to tell you a story, but I I can save it for after this. You actually already coached me and you don't even know, but I'll tell you the story (laughs) after this. Cool. So I'll say, I'm going to say one other piece about porn, which is it becomes really tricky to draw somebody into that experience if they're, if it's a man who is regularly watching porn by himself Mm. and because, and I'll speak from my own personal experience, like if I get drawn into watching porn by myself, excuse me, it sort of brings me into this mindset around sex that is really focused on the sort of, uh, the, the fucking mentality, like the male, the male view, the male gratification, like everything should be serving me, everything. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just like that sort of mindset. It kind of, it can actually cut me off from the deeper energetics of things. And so where, if I'm not acting out some kind of like of a, of a physical sexual fantasy or something, it's really hard or impossible for me to access the deeper erotic aliveness that exists between the two of us. So like, that's, that's kind of an unseen barrier that can happen for a lot of people. And a lot of people don't realize that that's the case. A lot of guys don't realize that that's the case too. But I'm here to say from my own personal experience and working with many hundreds of guys, uh, that's definitely the case. No, I believe it completely. I know that like my current relationship, we've decided not to do that. And part of it is because it becomes it's like the lazy man's way to orgasm is kind of what we describe it as. Like it's fast. It's like you're 
disassociating most of the time. It's just that sexual urge and you get that hit really fast. And like you said, then that's what you bring to your relationship and the sex you're having with your partner. And that isn't how real sex works. (laughs) So then it just becomes dissatisfying. And what the story I was going to tell you is I heard you describing the self-pleasure practice. I think you talk about you went on a retreat, I believe it was, and they put you on like a 30 day, something self-pleasure practice with no porn, but also no fantasy. And that is really like, that's what I want to talk about for a second, because Mm -hmm. I had never even associated the fact like that fantasy is in the same similar way, taking me out of my body. And so that's always been a part of any sort of self-pleasuring practice that I have. Mm -hmm. And I heard you talk about that on the podcast and I was like, all right, I'm just going to give this a go. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just see what happens. And it's tricky. Like it took me a second. Like if if anyone listening is a meditator, for me, it was like, I would have visions still come like pop in my brain and I would have to acknowledge them and send them away gently, you know, that kind of thing. The same thing Mm -hmm. I do while I meditate. But doing it in the way where you take out any sort of porn, any sort of fantasy, it was crazy. The things I started to learn about my own body, like (laughs) I was like, what is happening? It was a much longer process, but I was describing it to my boyfriend after and I'm telling him, I'm like, oh my God. And then I figured out this and this and this, Mm -hmm. and it's like stuff that I've always done. And so I knew those were things that I liked, but I didn't know the specifics of what was happening. So then I was able to tell him and then he's able to do that. Like it was, it became this like beautiful experience for both of us because we're now able to incorporate new things into our sex life. Um, But yeah, my experience with myself with that was so much deeper than any other practice that I've ever had. And the whole feeling, it's like, I almost felt high. It was crazy. Yeah. So if you're open to sharing, just to make it tangible, I wonder if you'd yeah. share, like, what is one of the things that you learned just so people can be like, oh, there's an example. Um, <laughs> my mom's not listening, <laughs> but I will. So, well, I'm a cancer. And if anyone's into astrology, there's a lot of sexual places, or if you study sexual astrology at all, you can start to find different places that your body actually responds much deeper. And mine is like a lot of nipple play. Um, and so that was something that I was just really mm. cognizant of like the actual places and the ways mm. in which that was really helping me. Um, mm. and then I think for women, a lot of times, like we can't orgasm without our clit being involved, but like, it was also the same thing where it's just a general thing typically for me. Mm. And in this situation, it was just much more specific of the hows and the whys and the wins and the wheres. And I just... I just found new places and it was yeah. crazy, but I yeah. felt like in staying with myself in my body and out of my head, the whole experience was just bigger. If yeah. that makes sense. It, Is that what you were asking? Yeah. Well, it, it 100% does make okay. sense. And I was just curious to hear like, yeah, the, the nipple thing is really useful and practical. Cause like yeah. before that it's like, Oh, theoretically this sounds nice, but like, what is something tangible that you learned? And I like that. Like, I like that. Yeah. So for example, for myself, like yeah. one thing that I really like, I actually do like nipple sensation as well on myself. And mm-hmm. I noticed like, strangely, my left nipple gets it feels like 20 times more sensitive than my right nipple for whatever reason. I can almost have an orgasm from my girlfriend just licking my left nipple alone. It's crazy, right? Yeah, It's crazy. But I also learned in my self-pleasure without fantasy experience that I also really like sensation of of touch on my perineum, which is the area between my testicles and my anus. Like that pressure there, like it feels really nice and erotic for me. I wouldn't have figured that out had I just been stuck in fantasy land or, or porn land, you know? Right. And why do you say that though? Because why, like, why wouldn't we figure that out? I mean, I mean, you might, right. Like you might figure it out, but it's very confronting to lay down with yourself Mm -hmm. without fantasy, without porn and start to masturbate to start to self-pleasure like you confront your thoughts, you confront your racing mind, you confront any sort of body pain or something about your body that you might not feel comfortable with. You confront all this stuff and it can be very uncomfortable at first, 
you know, mm-hmm. and you have to go through this exploration process. If you're being truly authentic with yourself, okay, what is okay? Like, what actually feels good? What if mm-hmm. I touch myself here? Eh, not so much. What if I touch myself here? Eh, not so much. What if I touch myself here? Ooh, that's nice. Like, yeah, I like that. Oh, there's a thought. Okay, I'm gonna sit, come back to my body. Okay, now I'm gonna try touching myself here. Like, that's really cool. And I would say that the word that's really helpful to associate with this with is practice right? Like if you, if you're the person listening and you're thinking, okay, I'll go try this. What's probably going to happen is it's not going to feel amazing the first time. Yeah. <laughs> if you're like, Honestly, most people, you're kind of like, uh, what do I do? Like, it's totally. sort of like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a training practice, you know, where you're training your nervous system and your sexual response system to be open to a new kind of pleasure. That's, that's really your body's own, I like to say it's an internally generated arousal that's not dependent on anything external, like no mm-hmm. porn, no fantasy, no dissociation. It's like, what is your actual aliveness, yourself as an erotic being? Like what turns you on? Like mm-hmm. what sensations, what breath? How can you feel alive without needing to go outside of yourself? Mm-hmm. That can take a little time to access, but once you do, it lights a certain kind of internal fire that nothing else can touch. Really. Like it's just not the same as as fantasy. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm so glad that you talked about the part where you just go lay down by yourself and you're kind of like, okay, you know, am I going to do this without fantasy or anything like that? Because I will say another thing that I forgot to mention is that when I started that process, because I was staying so out of my head, I did almost have this like sense of shame kind of rush over me to what I was doing. And that was really interesting to me because I had to sit with myself. And so then I'm like doing this kind of self-talk of like, no, this is like, like your body is made to do this. Like I had to get really comfortable with myself though, because I think as women, 
and this is a little bit different than probably the stuff that men face, but like for us, we're taught, there's a lot of women I know that don't even masturbate at all. Like it's just very much kind of based, we're taught from a young age that it's about our partner's pleasure. And so there's a lot of like deprogramming that I've had to do with that. And so then sitting with myself Mm -hmm. without fantasy, without any sort of distraction, I kind of had to work through those whole narratives again of just like, this is okay. This is like, like, this is about pleasure. It's good to feel good. Like your body is made to do this, you know, but it was crazy. I didn't even know those narratives were in there still. Yeah. Yeah. Then those narratives run deep. Like Mm -hmm. my understanding of the socialization you and and women get in this society is, is yeah, your pleasure isn't important. Like really your job is to serve the man and make sure he's satisfied. Like whatever you need to do, sacrifice yourself, like have sex before your, your pussy is open and ready to receive, like whatever, like deal with the pain to make your man happy. Like that kind of stuff is, is deeply ingrained in the psyche of a lot of women. Yeah. And it's, it's unhealthy and it's not helpful for you or your partner. And and I don't like, you know, that, you know, but I'm sure a lot of your listeners know that, but, but it's healthy. And helpful, I think, if there are any men listening to sometimes hear that coming out of a man's voice too, that it's not just women saying this, but also like, yeah, like I have witnessed that in my partner and we've talked about it. And like, I've spent time studying like how socialization affects different genders because it is really important and it does show up in the sexual experience as things that we'll have to navigate all of us at some way, you know, whether it's conscious or not, it's definitely impacting us. And so like, I, it's so exciting to me uh, that you and and other women are doing the work to help women like unlock this part of themselves and realize, Mm -hmm. yeah, sexual pleasure is important to you and you're wired for this and you're actually incredibly orgasmic. You can be and like, like, and if you unlock that power that's within you, like you can bring a whole world of amazing connection and pleasure and meaning and depth to sexual experiences with anybody of any gender. Too. Right, like you're you're actually a really fucking powerful, yeah, amazing creature. Yeah, <laughs> goddess, whatever you know, like human, whatever words you want to use to label it, like wow, you know, a bow to you. I mean, I will say I felt like a goddess after that. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was just you know, in my whole energy as a woman, and this is something that's happened to me since I've entered my forties. But there is this sort of stepping into your own power in a way I want to say. And I think that's part of the getting comfortable with your sexuality has been a huge part of that for me of just owning my own femininity, my own sexuality, my own relationship to pleasure in my own body. But as you're describing, I mean, it's funny because I hear a lot of my friends say, well, he doesn't know what he's doing as far as like sex with a woman or whatever. And I'm like, well, do you know what to tell him to do though, to your own body. Like what's your relationship with that within yourself? Because how can we expect someone else to do it if we don't even know how to do it for ourselves? For sure. And have you ever workshopped it as a couple? Exactly. You know, or does that concept feel like a totally foreign challenging thing that you could never do because, oh, sex is just, it's just this thing we do and uh, close the door. Right. Cut it off, you know? Yeah. I wonder when you started your own, that practice that you were doing that you describe in a lot of your work, were there any emotional narratives that came up for you? Like I said, shame came up for me pretty quickly. Did you have anything you had to work through? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And stuff still comes up, you know, and it's not like you reach a certain point and you're good for the rest of your life. Like you said, like it's a continual practice and things evolve and change as bodies do. Uh, But in the beginning, when I decided to make the shift into doing that self-pleasure practice for 30 days, it took me weeks to have an erection again. And, Mm. and I thought, oh my God, I've watched so much porn. I've had such unhealthy sexual habits that I have fucked up my penis. (laughs) My penis is broken. My penis is broken. (laughs) My brain is broken. I'm never going to be able to have an erection without fantasy or porn. Like what did I do to myself? Oh no, I have failed. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff came up for me big time. And I see this happen with men that I work with too. And, and luckily now, like I understand that that's part of the process and I can say, Hey, you know, this will happen. It's just part of the practice. You just have to breathe, you know, with it and move, move forward with it. But the emotions are real. The challenges Mm -hmm. are still real. Those come up. And also another interesting one was I, you know, as I'm a heterosexual guy yeah, and 
when self-pleasuring, I was exploring my body. And one of the things that I noticed started to feel good was touching my anus and exploring Mm -hmm. anal play by myself. And that when I was younger, like that was a huge fear of mine. Like I thought like, oh my God, am I, does that mean I'm gay? Does that mean I'm like, like very confusing? Like I'm afraid to even touch my own asshole because I'm afraid that somehow that will turn me gay as if there's like some (laughs) little... I know it's funny, but like, that's a legit fear. I think a lot of heterosexual men think that. Totally. It's like, as if there's this one section of my body that is a different sexual orientation (laughs) than the rest. Like that's just not how the body works. Right. Uh, So that was a, that was a hurdle to get over and to acknowledge like, oh, I actually really enjoy this. Yeah. And, and I just want to say it too, like for any guy that's listening, that's concerned about that. If you're with a woman and she's stimulating your anus, or if she puts a finger in your anus or puts a toy in your anus or anything like that, that is a heterosexual act by definition, because you're you're doing that with a woman, right? right. Like if it was a man doing that with you, then it would not be a heterosexual act, but right. the body, like it's the body parts, it doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Right? Why like have it, we labeled one body part as homosexual? Isn't that yeah. interesting? It is, it, it's very strange. And it's very like if when you start to do the work and uncover things, like obviously you realize, well, that's not the case at all. No. Uh, but I think it's it's generally just a symptom of our very repressed society that doesn't talk about sex or have any good sex education at all. Like mm-hmm. had we been told at 16 years old or 18 years old, hey, by the way, the same pleasure nerve that runs to the tip of your penis also has branches in your anal region. And you also have a prostate, which by the way, if somebody stimulates it while giving you a blowjob, it'll give you the most amazing orgasm you probably will ever have in your life. Nobody says that. <laughs> no. And know? I think everyone would be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. In that description, I mean. For sure. And it is amazing. And if you're listening and you have a prostate and you've never had that stimulated while your partner's giving you a blowjob or stimulating you or whatever, like you're missing out. Like yeah. that's just, you're, you're just fucking missing out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, if you're thinking, oh, well, I, I don't want to do that. That's I, I, that's not for me. That's the out hole or whatever. I'm like, cool. All right. But it's as if like you're going your whole life and you just avoided, I don't know, like ice cream or <laughs> roller coasters or nice cars or nice clothing because it's weird. Like yeah. on principle, like you are, that is, that is a lost opportunity in my opinion. Really is your loss <laughs> the way <Totally>. that, yeah, <laughs> it is for sure. Well, I love the work that you're doing. I love, keep, please keep talking about all the things, anal play, <laughs> all of it, whatever it is, because I do feel like we are just walking around not knowing, like we just mm-hmm. don't know. So you are you also have a podcast, if any of you guys yeah. are listening and really resonating with some of these topics, it's called Sex Upgraded. Can you talk through some of the stuff that you talk about on your podcast? Yeah. And thank you again so much for having me. Of course. Um, my podcast, it's got... Excuse me. There are a lot of personal stories that I share on my podcast because I find that guys really resonate with personal stories. And I've experimented a lot. There are stories about how I went to my first sex party and my second sex party and how I had crazy sexual experiences here and then went to this other thing over there. And like there's lots of personal stories there, as well as interviews with all kinds of people about everything related to sex, basically. And yeah, check it out. It's a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite ways to interact with people because mm-hmm. we get to do deep dives into topics like where else do you sit down with anybody in your life and have an hour long conversation about anything? Right. <laughs> I think it's I think it's really cool. Like podcasting is one of my favorite uh, modalities of connection and learning. So check yeah. that out if you want. Yeah. Well, and I would assume that some of these topics, like I mean, as we've talked about multiple times. They can feel a little scary when you first start looking into them because we have not been trained to discuss them. They've, you know, they're either taboo or shameful, or you don't want to necessarily look at what you're feeling and all that stuff. So a podcast is actually a really good place to start because you can just listen and kind of decide where you want to take your personal sex life. You might have an experience like mine where I heard what you and Layla were talking about. And I was like, I want to try that. So it opened up a whole new world for me. So, um, where else can go ahead? Well, I would just, one episode came to mind to recommend, which is sexual, sexual attraction versus energetic attraction. It's really interesting. Like that was 
that episode is about a really transformative personal experience I had at a workshop where I, for the first time, actually felt and was able to discern the difference between just just physical sexual attraction and energetic yeah. attraction and and feel the difference of those two. And it was mind blowing and it, it changed okay. my sex life going forward. So that's that's a pretty cool one. And it's relatively short to listen to also. That's on the Sex Upgraded podcast. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to go check that out personally. If you guys want to go check that out, I'll put the link in the description of this podcast. Taylor, where else can people find you? All over the internet. <laughs> uh, look up <laughs> Taylor Johnson, sex coach. I'm on Instagram at Taylor Clark Johnson and YouTube too. And if you're a guy listening and you want to work on anything like overcoming premature ejaculation or learn semen retention or learn how to overcome erectile dysfunction. I have free guides for those things on my website too. I imagine maybe you'll link to those in the show notes or at least my website. Uh, yes, you can find me on sure. Google and it, it's all pretty easy to find. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. I loved talking about this. If you guys have any questions, go find Taylor on Insta. Again, I'll put all of this in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for listening. I hope you have a beautiful day. Thanks for listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson, where we believe everyone has a little velvet and a little edge. Subscribe for more conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. Search Velvet's Edge wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.